0: Hello and welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset. It's Sam Bruce, joined as ever by Christy Doran on uh, what is a uh, momentous day for Australian sport with uh, Cam Smith winning the Open Championship at St Andrews overnight, uh, but with an interesting postscript to come and perhaps uh, what's looking like a a big announcement, re-live golf, uh, along with a host of other players uh, heading that way, uh, potentially Mark Leishman, if you read one report today um momentous for cam smith not so momentous for the wallabies who on saturday dropped their series with england 2-1 at the scg in uh, yet another gripping encounter it must be said um, christy we were both there um not a great viewing spectacle spectacle we know that um certainly uh, lots of nostalgia the atmosphere was was pretty good Um, But some bizarre stuff going on in the crowd and it probably seems a a good place to start given what we saw yesterday hit social media. Um, A number of fans, certainly two, calling Eddie Jones a traitor. Now, anyone who has had any dealings with Eddie over the years knows he's a fiercely proud Australian, Um, loves talking about Australian sport, the history of Australian cricket Um, So that's about the the worst thing you could say to him. Uh, Not only that, some bloke scales the top of the Bill O'Reilly stand at the SCG um, and proceeds to urinate. And apparently he was up there for some time. Now, Christy, I'm not sure if it was a full moon, um, but my goodness, uh, all the the interesting folk came out on Saturday night at the SCG. Didn't it ever. It
1: kind of summed up what was a, you know, certainly following it a bit of a dampener. Um, You might say, look... Yeah, it, it, it's probably interesting talking about the whole idea of Eddie the trader because it's always the Eddie show, isn't it? You know, it comes to it, and he was probably slow to begin with and perhaps feeling the heat, but he certainly warmed into it, um, into the series and was in fine form at his press conference on Thursday and, and continued that right the way through. Um, look, yeah, great day for Australian sport, as you say, but not so great. For the Wallabies, because it was yet another time where you think they've just missed that opportunity, haven't they? They were, you know, there's forty three thousand there, the biggest crowd I can remember at the SCG for a long, long time, and that's yep. cricket and AFL included. But it was, it had a feeling of gold, didn't it? Like you often go to a the Olympic Stadium in A and Z, and it doesn't look particularly gold. It certainly looks gold over in Perth, and we're both there, and. And Brisbane tends to have a strong showing in gold. But in Sydney, that's been missing for quite a while. And it had the feeling, and you could see when Tom Wright scored early, or early-ish, that it was a spectacular try, but it was really celebrated and it was flat in the second half. And you could feel the disappointment brewing around it. So, yeah, we'll get into the nitty and the gritty, but... In a moment, but a massively missed opportunity
0: there for the Wallabies. The nitty gritty, uh, as you said, we were both there on Saturday night, um, and it was almost a feeling of uh, pulling your hair out with what went on early doors. Um, certainly, the break by Taniela Tupu off a nice little uh, little worked move, which looks like a, a Brumby special, which they kind of used to run to Tom Banks quite a bit. I'm not sure if it was exactly the same play, but certainly had that look about it. Um, goes through and throws a woeful pass to Nick Frost around his ankles. Um, every chance Nick Frost goes through and, and scores um, if that passes... Oh, uh, he he's, that. he's not getting pulled down. He's a he's a sprinter, a state sprinter going
1: up in his teens.
0: There you go. Uh, and uh, I think probably before that, um, the Wallabies create a, an overlap, I think, off the back of a scrum. And, and Reese Hodge throws an equally terrible pass that goes about a metre behind Tom Wright. Now, two massive moments. Um, and, uh, you know, I made a, a note of those in my match notes, uh, included in my, my verdict from Saturday night. And then I went back and, you know, as you and I tend to do, we, we rewatch these games because you, you pick up stuff on the television that perhaps you don't pick up at the time. And it was an interesting one, which I had made a note of, but I'd gone, uh, I'd glossed over in, in bringing everything together in the, in the postscript on Saturday night. And it was the clearance that Reese Hodge kicked out on the full, um, after Noah Lollasio kicked a penalty goal to take it out to 10-3. And it should be just the simplest of tasks, exiting your own end, even if you don't um, put the ball out on the full, which is obviously the desired outcome. But the way the Wallabies butchered that with just going outside the 22 and then the lack of comms, um, it's not up to the referee to communicate. Um, he's certainly bound by no law saying that he must say whether the ball is, is in or or outside the 22, and, and Reese Hodge goes and boots that one deep into touch. He lets out a big F me. Um, and it was kind of for me, it was a little momentum shift, and that's what stood out for me. Not a whole lot else when I was re watching uh the replay last night. Um, just one of those you know, those key war- wallabies errors that we we seem to there's a real feel of a broken record about it that we keep going back to the same old things, um, including those those two issues around the, the Hodge and. And Tupu passes. Um, I mean, you, you can go through and, and pick holes in in any match, but um, on reflection, uh, that just stood out for me as well. You know, we it's it's very much a, a one step forward as it was in Perth, and then and then two big steps back. Yeah,
1: you're not wrong. Um, yeah, anyone that looked at the Australia A test where Reese Hodge played, you know, it's it kind of continued the the theme of just being underwhelming for the season, and and Hodge was rather impressive under the high ball for the best part. He was pretty good in that area. Yep, absolutely. Um, but, you know, those not having the ability to hit your mark with the left-to-right pass, not good enough. Now, he's, he's the backup ten. if anything happens to Noel Olesey. You've got to remember that. Look, it was one of the concerns that I had going into the test was, yes, James O'Connor had a very poor test and a poor, he, he, he absolutely stuffed three key moments in Brisbane, but... By going away from him, um, set the tone of well. We're bringing in a bloke who's hardly who has played, but he's not played well for a guy that had been playing well, who hadn't played a lot, and he's had you know he's been put in a pressured situation off the back of a lot of injuries, a lot of moving components, and yeah, he didn't he didn't have his best and finest moments, but he missed by small margins you would expect off the back of another week that that player improves and they should. And, and sometimes you get that moment and sometimes you don't, but I thought experience was going to be important in the decision makers at 10 and 15. Uh, where I think the Wallabies lost the, the game was, yeah, and you can point to some of those key moments, but you can also point to decisions to turn down points, um, the, the, the real lateral play and, um, it seemed like there was a real desire to always go wide first rather than forward. You know, you, know, you compare it to Ireland who have this brilliant ability to be able to manipulate defense, but also go back the short side. And it's not always one way. Um, and then they draw in the numbers. And then we saw with the likes of Mack Hansen and, and um, uh, you know, Robbie Henshaw scoring, um, Uh, Keenan, Hugo Keenan, yep. Hugo Keenan, there was James Lowe's impeccable ball as well. They found space through drawing numbers in and creating it. I I don't think the Wallabies found as much space because it was pretty predictable in the end. They were doing a lot of the same attack. You know, you you think about that ball, that brilliant ball, and I think it was slipping inside to Tupou. You know, that's in the middle of the field played between forwards, for um, our finance scores as well, um, this isn't from the flashy stuff. And yes, Australia's wingers were actually I thought superb. I thought Marika was everywhere and doing what he usually does. Tom Wright was impressive, um, elusive. But you've got to have a lot more substance in the middle. And I, and I think we played Rob um, Rob Valatini and and Harry Wilson out of the game because. You know, the strengths that we saw there is Pete Samu. It's, it's not Harry Wilson or not Rob Valentini who often do a lot of the good stuff through the middle or, or just one or two out. Um, it's not it's not completely out wide. And we saw Pete Samu go close to scoring there. If you were going to play that game, I would have been having Pete Samu to begin with in front of a Harry Wilson. So I was a bit miffed by the tactics. They said that they didn't want to kick to... To, to Freddie Stewart, and potentially that's fair enough. But is that how you win games of Test Match Rugby, by going wide all the time? Particularly when your skills aren't as silky as they need to be. I think there needs to be some real soul-searching around how this Wallaby side wins, because we saw when they beat South Africa last year, it was built on the back of a really understated Quade Cooper, Nick White doing a lot of clever stuff around the ruck, and the forwards really fronting up. We haven't seen that over the last three tests, and and, and I think they occasionally get ahead of themselves in how they want to play, and and that's what I wrote about today. In fact, was you know is 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 the Dave Rennie game plan, which has only won thirty nine percent of test matches, albeit in two and a bit years, but thirty nine percent is really low. And you look at what he was doing at Glasgow, and they had an inability to win the really big knockout matches because they weren't playing. Knockout rugby, so some head scratching and some soul searching, I think, over the the coming weeks before facing Michael Checker's Argentinian side.
0: How much ownership do you think Nick White and, and Noah Lollasio need to take on this? Because Dave in the post-match press conference said, "Yeah, we saw that there was space on back on the inside, and we we wanted to use that." And my mind immediately jumped to the Bledisloe series last year, yeah. where. In all three games, it was we can see the space back there, but we're not putting the ball in behind. The message is not getting through. Now, clearly, the message didn't get through again on Saturday night because, as you said, it was very much side to side, it was same way, same way, same way, um, and that change of angle where Tupu went through, as you mentioned, was probably about the only time we saw that. So, is that a reflection on the leaders of the team, the halves in particular, uh, Michael Hooper? Um, is Dave Rennie? Is he is the message that he's delivering uh, is it not strong enough? Um, why isn't that getting through so that you know these guys can make the adjustments? Because isn't that what half time is for to go right over the coach has made X amount of notes in his notepad, comes out and says, Boys, we can see the space here, we can see it from the coach's box. If we make this slight adjustment, then we might be able to open them up. But to, well, see, Sam, them, to see them let me put it this way. When do you think Nick Wyatt's at his best and the Wallabies are at their most threatening? Oh, it's clearly when he's bouncing out and he's sucking in that A and B defender for me and looking to either turn balls back on the inside um, and really, as I said, committing that A and B defender, that one and two and and hitting guys in close at the line, right? But we just didn't see that at all on Saturday night, did we?
1: No, and, and that's the point. That's the point. And and you know, people have been messaging me going, you know, isn't that Tate McDermott's strengths? And and I've asked and I've pushed back a little bit going, well, is that the structure that the that the game plan is built around? Is that what Dave Rennie is wanting at the moment? Because there was a lot played off 10 by Noel Olasio, who's more of a distributing 10 at this stage. He's not, you know, he was at his most threatening in Perth and in Brisbane in the final 25 minutes because he started running to the line and he, you know, he was taking the line on. We we didn't see that on the weekend. We didn't see Nick White challenge the line. We saw, and it becomes predictable because all of a sudden, the English defence, they don't need to have to look inside. All they're doing is looking outside. So... That was an, a curious thing, and it's a good you're, you're right to bring that up in terms of the space. You know, and I, I just think he was a bit deep at times, Lola Seo, and he's got to challenge the line because otherwise it's just, it's just too predictable. And we saw when Tate came on, one thing he did do was challenge the line. And at times, I don't think he necessarily did it effectively. And that's because I think it wasn't off quick ball. You know, the forwards weren't quite. Very messy, rucks, yep. Yeah, and he was getting scrambled there a few times. You could see what he was trying to do, but I think at that point, I think England was gone. Well, Tate's coming on; they're chasing the game. This is what he's going to do. This is his number one threat. If you can do that earlier in the game, it just poses those questions. So, I think I think it's more of a game plan around how the Wallabies want. They could see the space early and they kept doing that. They weren't able to adjust. And that is maybe a reflection, not just on what, but Lois Leo and his, you know, learning. He's still young. But, you know, big calls were made around substitutions as well. You know, I kind of raised it when, when Dave Rennie named his squad going, you know, you've picked a specialist centre here, Len Ikatau. The only time you're going to really bring him on, you know, is if, you're, there's an injury. You know, It was a defensive option, I thought, one, and, and it was a surprising option because the Wallabies didn't change the way that they wanted to play there really in the second half. Sully Bunabala gets given a three minutes. Is that the most effective use yeah. of your pitch? And, and, and you compare that with, with Eddie Jones who replaces Danny Care after 37 minutes and it changed the course of the game. You, you pointed out and spoke to me during it, geez, Danny hasn't been great. And then... You know, who who all of a sudden comes on and and England end up scoring before half time. Um, big, big decisions have got to be made time at times by coaches.
0: And I guess you know what we learned about or what we saw or the way they played with such width. I mean, surely then that was a better situation to have moved Tom Wright potentially to fullback back and given Sully the start. If it was to try and expose England on the edges where absolutely Betty did and absolutely Tom Wright did with a couple of fantastic runs and I'll come to Marika in a second um, but wasn't then that the opportunity to to go all out in that front because it looked out from the way that they were playing certainly the game plan that that was that was it and it was a real throwback to Michael Checker worryingly that um, yes. you know it was side to side side to side um, and it wasn't working. I mean, they did open them up and I think it was six or seven line breaks in the, in the first half when I checked the stats at, at half time, And I'm sure it was probably at least half that again in the second, but um, yeah, to then only go and give Sully three minutes, as you said, was, was certainly confusing. Um, the- the other,
1: the other, just before we move away from there, the other thing that having a Sule Bunabali does, and you compare it with Ireland, who do a barrage of kicks on the halfway line or even approaching the opposition 22, you know, from that 10-metre line, they, they often kick and they put pressure on, but they back their guys, and so does England, like, to, like a Freddie Stewart, to win the ball in the air. Now, Freddie Stewart won the ball on a number of occasions, so... Maybe they opted, well, Freddie's, Freddie's going to dominate the air. Let's not kick. But where's the attacking kicks for if you have a Suli Bunabalu or a Jordan Bataille, but Bunabalu, one of his strengths is in the air. You know, Tom Wright and Marika Corabetti, both short wingers. So, you know, you're, you're not utilising what is one of the most dangerous tools, which is the kick. And when you're kicking to get the ball back, it's another way you can manipulate defence. We didn't see any attacking, kicking like that. And I always think that the All Blacks are at their best when they're winning to try trying to get the ball back from their own kicks. And we've seen that on a number of occasions, but often against the Wallabies.
0: Now, Marika Korambetir was, of course, the, the man of the series. And, and I have to say that um, for me, it was Courtney Laws. Uh, and yeah. as I said, re-watching that last night, there's a play. If you fancy going, have another look. in the 79th minute, which just absolutely underlined what was a phenomenal showing as as captain virtually across all three tests. And I think he's certainly um, cleared up the the debate uh, around whether uh, Owen Farrell should have uh, come back and taken the captaincy because he was phenomenal. Anyway, in the 79th minute tackles, gets back to his feet, wins the space, rucks the ball correctly by dragging it back towards his own line. England take it down the short side. He then lines up for a carry next phase, uh, splits the Wallabies, um all in the space of I don't know about 20, 25 seconds in the 79th minute at the end of a three test series at the end of a 12 month season because I think he played virtually his
1: okay.
0: uh and the the final lions test was in maybe the first week of August or something okay. yeah. last year. So a Herculean effort. Um so I want to give him a, a big rap and also the English defense. Let's not you know shy away from that that while they might have become accustomed to the pictures that they were seeing in front of them. Um, It held up pretty well, uh, save potentially Marcus Smith, who, you know, still I think is going to be a a liability in the ten channel. Even when they moved him out to the wing, uh, Samu still made a beeline for him and and uh, and ran straight at him. So, um, kudos to England. Uh, Marika, though, um, I'm not sure there's been a Wallabies player in the last, well, however long I've been watching rugby that exponentially year on year takes his game. To another level, like with every new season, he gets better and better and better.
1: And you've got to ask, you know, has he come back? And and from what I'm hearing from you, the stint in Japan has probably done a good thing. And you've seen with other players like Osamu Karevi and Quake yep. uh, Cooper, these players, you know, maybe potentially Sean McMahon, albeit we haven't seen enough of him in a, a wall of his jersey to perhaps make that. That judgment call, but you see guys like Kirtley Bill and Mark Skelton go overseas and often come back better. Um, maybe those levels don't always stay there, but, but it seems like when they return. But you're right, Marika was everywhere. And I think he epitomizes the kind of guy that the Wallabies need um, in terms of what his output is and what he does. And... Um, You never could question his desire, his work ethic, his fitness physically. He's in extraordinary shape as well. And does that lend itself to, is everyone else putting in the same commitment as a Marika Corabetti? And and maybe there are. You look at guys like Rob Valentini, who, albeit was quiet throughout the game, but you've seen what he's been able to do over the last couple of years. And a lot of that has been built off from what we're told from Dan McKellar and Laurie Fisher, upping their comms at training, demanding them more, lifting their habits, not training like a super rugby player, training like an international. I don't know if there's enough of that within the entire Wallaby setup because he, as you're right, um, superb and ever-present, always a threat. Even his skills and his understanding of when to pick the ball up when he's gone to ground and there's not a ruck over him, if ruck has formed over him, he, he's always looking for, how do I get a couple more metres? And and very rarely does he infringe and give away a penalty. So you're right, and, and good to highlight that, but also good to highlight Courtney Laws. And what it does, it, to me, it, it makes me a bit frustrated when you see guys like Lukan Salakai, Loto, who I think has got a similar physical presence, yeah, could cool. have a similar sort of role. But for whatever reason, Australian rugby hasn't been able to get the best out of him. And I, and I feel like when Michael Checker was his coach at the Wallabies, Check got close to the best out of Lucan, but he was still an infant, he was still in his infancy when it comes to his rugby career. You know, Courtney. Is a seasoned pro who has been around for so long, but he's getting better with every year. Lucan is only really, he's only about seven years into his rugby career. He made the switch from rugby league and his just understanding of the game should be getting better, but we've never seen the best of him. And unfortunately, he's leaving at that time when he should be starting to come into the
0: peak of his career. On the flip side, coincidentally, he's going to Northampton, which is Courtney yeah. Law's club. So... And yeah, it was
1: And it was funny that, you know, in the in the late week leading up to the Brisbane Test, Courtney, as you mentioned, a Saints player, they all caught up with, with Lucan. All, all the Saints guys caught up with him, had a coffee, and they all welcomed him. They all thought, geez, this guy's a physical specimen. And I asked him, oh, Courtney, do you think Lucan um, could he beat, could he get up for this test match if he was at, if he was caught up? And he said, Oh yeah, like. You know this guy's obviously played a quarter final in 2019 against Luke and he knows what he can do
0: there you have it uh, and I think we actually were talking about it when the the signing was announced maybe you know might have been six weeks to two months ago on another pod that um he may yet come back because I think 2027 he might be about 29 which would be bang on for you know a lock um in the peak of their powers so uh who knows uh, what about some other positives Christy um Certainly Nick Frost on Saturday night, uh, his first start after getting a few minutes off the bench uh, the week before, looked right at home. As he said, he's a real athlete. Um, he's got pace. His lineout work was strong. Um, got that early charge down, um, which really could have been a, a tempo setter, but didn't yeah. turn out to be on the back of those other mistakes. Um, I think Dave Parecki certainly has made the hooker jersey his own and that it one-two does. punch between he and and then Falau coming off the bench and adding that real ball carrying threat later on after the set piece work has been done and, and set by, by Parecki. And, and I guess probably Tom Wright has, has proven. He is a, a real winger of, of class at, um, at international level, despite having a bit of deer in the headlights about him on occasion. Um, he's another guy whose, whose stocks were improved uh, over the past few weeks.
1: Yeah. Once upon a time with Tom Wright, you'd, you'd say that it was rocks or diamonds. And I think we're starting to see more diamonds um, uh yeah i think i think those guys are. you quite rightly pointed out and highlighted nick frost is young you know he's very young and you you think that in two or three years time he's going to be significantly bigger more physical but it's his second test match and and you know there shouldn't be too much put on his shoulders just yet yeah. because, Look, I still think that they desperately need another second row. They're going to be hoping that Rory Arnold can play in this Argentinian test. Otherwise it's, it's very light, you know, in the same way that Darcy Swain is going to continue to build into his body. I, I think there's, there's a lack of of just that physical toughness just at the moment um, in that second row. Uh, and and I, that, that's a slight concern when you're going to face a Michael Checker coached Argentinian side. So watch that space there. I, I was a bit underwhelmed, I've got to admit, with the with the back row. And I know that there's been injuries, but I don't think that they combined how they needed to. Um, certainly, I don't think we saw the best of Rob Ballatini. And I don't think we saw the best of Harry Wilson on the weekend. He gave away penalties around the ruck too. So you're looking for where some positives are. Pete Samu was great off the bench in all three tests, I think. Um, There's clearly some depth that's building across the squad, but you need to start to see more than just encouragement. You need to start to see some wins. And, you know, we're still a year and a half away. And I know that where the Wallabies were starting two years ago was an extremely low ebb, you know, given the, the change up and the, new coaching structure and everything else. But there's still massive questions over the sixth position, still massive questions over a 10. And certainly there is a fullback as well. Um, who's the right option there? How do you get a consistent performer? Hey, guys, if you like this podcast and you like footy, why not join myself, Matt Walsh, Jake Michaels, and champion data's Christian Jolly, as we break down all things footy with the help of the game's
0: best statisticians. Get the ESPN footy podcast wherever you stream your podcasts every Tuesday. Now, I guess we look ahead to to Argentina. We've got um, a couple of three weeks off between now and then, uh, and a real, I guess, intriguing start to the rugby championship for the Wallabies against um, Michael Checkers, uh, Pumas, as you mentioned earlier, who completed their series victory in dramatic circumstances over Scotland to win 2-1. Um, and yeah, what a great weekend for, for international rugby across the board for, with four deciders and being split two and two between the, the two hemispheres. Um, I guess then let's look at number 10. Um, does Quade Cooper come straight back in for that first test in Argentina?
1: Yeah, it's a good question um, because he hasn't played in quite a while. I think he probably does. And it's and if you do do that, it's it's also another change at 12. We know that Samu Karubi is not going to be there for the first two tests of the Rugby Championship. In my opinion, that means Hunter Paisami comes in at 12, and I think he probably combines with Alain Iketao. We know that Izzy Parisi is going to be out for the rest of the year, which is devastating for him. His punch would have been, I think, pretty valuable. But yeah, you also imagine that Jordan Bataille comes in at and, and and maybe he's at fullback or at the very least he's on the he's in the squad. But there's there's some decisions that have to be made because there's it means that there's more changes now, 10, 12, 15. So look, it's a huge blow losing Karevi because Karevi and Quaid would have would have been perfect. Oh, if they can get one win out of two matches here on, on this tour of Argentina, I think they'd almost take it at this stage because it's this is going to be significantly tough against an Argentinian side who's now, you know, got a wind
0: some, in their sails. Yeah.
1: Wind in their sails after a r- unbelievable comeback against Scotland with a couple of tries in the last 10, 15 minutes, including one on the, on the bell. So yeah, I, I think you have to return to Quaid though um, ahead of Noah. I think Noah I is maybe is someone someone put back on the bench at this point, but Quade's experience, if he's fit and he's, you know, you, I think you need that experience, that composure, the ability to play in different styles, different brands. Um, but big questions, big questions. And maybe O'Connor is thought of as, as a fullback because, you know, without Andrew Callaway being there, I think you need another calm head there. O'Connor's proved he's been pretty reliable under the high pool in recent years. And he's a he's a a calm head, experienced, and and you need to
0: find out a bit more about these players, I think too. I'll play devil's advocate here. Then Um, you mentioned though, kind of looking fairly rusty when he came back um, off the bench in the first two tests. Uh, Is that a worry number one with Quade rustiness, uh, as you you mentioned? I don't think he's played since maybe early May. And then what about the Queensland Reds connection? Um, Hunter likely to go to 12, you would think. uh, Play alongside James. Geordie potentially to 15. Is there a school of thought there where you go 10, 12, 15, all Reds? Okay, these guys might be short um, on reps, but uh, that familiarity, uh, that cohesion perhaps of playing together in Queensland um, could be then uh, replicated at uh, at the Wallabies in Argentina.
1: Yeah, there certainly is. Look... I don't know if the if the red if, if Dave Rennie and the Wallabies would I'm going to say brave enough, but I don't know if they would be willing to go Tate McDermott at nine, and if you do do Tate McDermott at nine, I think absolutely you can you can go James at ten, and I think you can go Hunter at twelve, and you know he's what you could almost go Jock Campbell at fifteen. Um, look. Jock Campbell is is a guy that has a big boot, can kick the ball 50, 55 metres regularly, um, makes the right decision more often than not. He's been told that he's close. Uh, there was a reason why he wasn't brought back from, from the Pacific Nations captain, Fiji, because they wanted him to have more reps, to have more metres yep. there, uh, minutes. Uh, I, I think uh, Jock Campbell... You know, almost deserves an opportunity at some point because I don't think you'd go any worse than what's happening at the moment in terms of decision making, in terms of limiting mistakes. You know, Jock Campbell hardly, seldom does he ever make a mistake, and you might discover a bit more. And potentially, a, a guy like that does um, does surprise people. So, yeah, if 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 Dave does turn it to it, I think it would be surprising result and turn of events, given what we've seen. But I don't don't know if Reese Hodge is the answer at fullback. And if if you're not quite thinking that, um, you know, someone like a a Tom Wright may be too elusive or too erratic for that, or a fullback needs to make the right decision more often than not. And we don't see that enough with what's happening at the moment. And Andrew Kellaway is going to be out for quite a while. And once
0: you do a hamstring injury, you often do it again and again. The word bold there, Christy, just before we, we moved on, uh, you used whether whether Dave might be bold enough to do it. I guess when you if you take a, a leaf out of um Eddie Jones' book and to throw Tate in there, and if it's not working, you could absolutely hook him after 28, 30 minutes, like he did Danny Care on Saturday night and like he did Luther Burrell in, in 2016. So something to uh to ponder there. Um, or even, you know, throw Jake Gordon in there. Obviously wouldn't have the the connection with with James O'Connor uh, specifically, but it certainly would present a, a new picture uh, for the for the Pumas, and perhaps one that um, they might not be preparing for. Uh, okay, let's park Australian rugby there. Let's jump across the ditch to New Zealand and uh, reflect a little on that fantastic win by Ireland in Wellington. Um, now, I watched the first half from the office uh, at Fox Studios before walking next door and as a result missing uh, the mini All Blacks comeback as I fought the, the crowds to... To find my way uh, into the Bruongle stand to, to get up and, and take my seat for for the Wallabies, but the first half, uh, to me, I, I thought back to the 2019 final when the All Blacks had been so deconstructed by, so overwhelmed by what England had, had thrown at them. Um, probably deserved more than than what they had. I think might have been 14-3 or something at the at the break along those lines. For Islander to come out and score the, the three tries as they did in that first half and absolutely just take the All Blacks apart. Um, I think for me, top that performance from England uh, in, in Japan, of course that was on neutral turf. This was in, you know, in Wellington where the All Blacks record perhaps isn't as well, certainly isn't as strong as it is in, in Auckland um, it was just an unbelievable half of footy. And then to go on to survive that comeback that they knew would eventually um arrive uh, and certainly led by Artie Sevilla and, and Will Jordan um, to get that final try to ice the contest uh, a little bit of controversy there around the, the head clash high tackle which was only a yellow instead of a red which is what it was last week um, I, I just thought it was a, a brilliant performance from Ireland and capped a sensational series win and, and one that they thoroughly deserved.
1: Yeah it's, it's been cool Bruce better than a, a semi-final result in 2019 I'm not sure if it was only because when when the English took down New Zealand, they were flying. They had a steward, you know, Kieran Reid in that team. They still had Sonny Bill Williams there. There was a lot more um, uh, cohesion in the side. There was a coach that's renowned as one of the best in the world as opposed to it. And Foster, and we'll get to him, but a lot of people were not quite sure if he's the right man. Ireland were fantastic. And it was a improved performance from their match against the All Blacks in Dunedin because of their own cohesion and the ability to take their opportunities in the first half Ireland did that and they did that so so well with precision Johnny Sexton was great the outside backs were well and um, went well <clears throat> Bunny Aki had a, a great game and I thought Robbie Henshaw, Bundyaki, they're both quite big centres as opposed to Gary Ringrose, got a lot more skill, more fleet-footed. It was a a better performance, you're right. Um, The comeback, we saw it, but we saw an individual, you know, some of the All Blacks stand up individually with a couple of great tries, like Will Jordan there, superb try uh, to run 70, 75 metres there. Uh, So, yeah, look... Hard to compare matches over particular years, but outstanding. And what it does is it probably cements that Ireland are a genuine, genuine hope at this next World Cup. Whether or not, you know, some of the some of the things that we spoke about last week regarding Johnny Sexton, et cetera, et cetera, they still exist, don't they? Like it was a Sexton show. The lines that they run, the patterns that they run are incredible. But when you have to put in the new 10 there, you know, there's a reason why Sexton might not have, you know, to win a World Cup, you need to win, what, six, seven matches in a row, generally speaking. And, and there's at least uh, a quarter semifinal played over three weeks. We've seen that Sexton very rarely has ever been able to do that. Um, you know, a Six Nations, there's two matches and then a, a week or two where he doesn't have to play for Leinstar. Well, if you're going to make World Cup final... is going to have to play big, big minutes. So those sorts of things still hang over the heads of Ireland. Um, And that's why I think probably France still think are the the favourites at this point um, to to take out a, a World Cup next year. But there's massive questions over the All Blacks, isn't there?
0: Absolutely. And uh, worth mentioning, Ireland actually did go to number one in the rankings with that victory. Uh, I know the the ins and outs of world rugby rankings are a bit all over the shop, but um, France having gone there to number one last week and then not playing on the weekend, get usurped by (laughs) Ireland. So, yeah, make up your own mind about that one. Uh, You're absolutely right, mate. New Zealand rugby um, has gone... I won't say in the meltdown because I think this, uh, a lot of people have, and certainly we've spoken about it. I think we've done probably two or three pods where it's been a, a talking point, not just this year, but certainly last year as well. Our colleague Liam Napier has been on to talk about it in New Zealand. And um, it's, I think we all saw it coming, didn't we? That this this All Blacks team, and I think one of the big criticisms reading a bit of the media today, watching Sky Sports, the breakdown and and even hearing some of the All Blacks reflect on you know the the manners the manners not there the heart's not there that they don't seem to be on on the same page and uh, from what you're reading in between and around the lines that um I in no way think this is a squad that's united behind Ian Foster I think there's players there that are ready for him to go his ability to to connect with them on a on a personal level and bring them all together into a cohesive unit because apart from maybe it was Mark Hinton's piece in in stuff today that. New Zealand won two quarters out of the uh, the three matches. So what's that? Um, 12. Um, two out of 12 quarters, if you break it down into, into blocks of 20 minutes across the three tests. And um, we all know that then they've absolutely always got that ability and will forever to blow teams out of the water within 15 minutes. We've seen it time and time again, the Bledisloe Cup. Um, but a quality side like Ireland, who, as we mentioned, were able to regroup in that second half, go up, get the field position, uh, kick to the corner and then uh, I'm not sure who's scored the try that the breakaway whose, whose name escapes me to peel off the ruck which I thought at the time oh he's gone too early here uh, and then to fight through the three defenders to plant that ball down you, you just thought we're talking it? about Josh Van der who Van der was it um, just a, a brilliant effort and, and as I mentioned thoroughly deserving how New Zealand rugby we saw the reaction on on Sunday um, putting out a A statement saying that another review would begin immediately and that we are absolutely committed to working with Ian to find out you know how we get better and and that work starts now and um, you know with the rugby championship only three weeks away and they're off to South Africa so they'll probably depart I guess you would think um, the end of end of next week maybe Thursday Thursday week Thursday Friday next week to give themselves a, a full week in South Africa, I'm not sure what the advice, you know, the best way of, of combating jet lag and, and altitude, whether they are playing at altitude. I don't have the venues in front of me, but to adjust to the certainly the surroundings over there, they've got only a short few days, you would think, to, to make a decision. Are we sticking with Foster? Um, are we giving him the two games in the Republic to go up against the world champion Springboks, who, you know, in, in most people's minds, probably still remain the top dogs? And we know that the kind of rugby that they play at World Cups does work so well um, does he if he wins those two games is he then you know guarantees job if he loses them do they make a move beforehand Scott Robinson's there uh, Warren Gatlin I guess is another outside option Josh uh,
1: is an outside option you know
0: it, it, it's gonna be a fascinating few days and I don't know what's what's your gut I, I feel like that if they were going to move on him they would have moved today Monday potentially tomorrow, Tuesday, as we're recording this, I think if they leave it any longer than that, then the decision's been made. that they're, they're sticking with him. Um, so I think they're from recording as we speak right now on Monday night, they've got 24 hours to say, Ian, you're out, or Ian, we're backing you.
1: I think you're right. Um, look, Joe, Joe Schmidt's another option. And the interesting yep. thing around Joe Schmidt is that he... Takes over pretty much the All Blacks the week of their first test win. Now, uh, you know, against Ireland. Now, whether or not it's just coincidence or, you know, just, just luck or whatever it might be, the All Blacks' best performance and their only win came with Joe Schmidt taking over the All Blacks. Um, with Joe uh, with, with Ian Foster, unfortunately, down with COVID. Um, you know, they're just that's just the reality that, that's what occurred. I've asked one or two questions what people think, and, and 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 there's certainly an idea that this is just delaying the inevitable. If 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 Ian Foster remains in the job, I spoke to Liam Napier yesterday. Actually, he he gets the idea, the feeling that he will be given the the trip to South Africa to to show something. I would think that if, if if that is indeed what occurs, he needs to win one test out of two. You know, to win two and two in South Africa would be supremely difficult and probably unrealistic. One, you want to see at least two damn good performances or sneak a win over there against a South African side who may have may have gone back a notch or two under their new coach and Razzie moving into a director of rugby kind of role. Um but, yeah, I think Scott Robinson is, is the guy on everyone's tongue and it has been since 2019. I get the feeling that New Zealand rugby has, has digging, is, is digging their heads, head in the sand here because, you know, they're the ones that have given him the contract extension last year. Um, the timing of that was, I thought... Obscure. Obscure. Why not wait till the end of the year? Um, there was no risk of Scott Robinson leaving at that time. And you're going to learn a bit more off the back of the rugby championship and the, and the end of the season, spring tour tests. Um, you know, if they do lose the next two in South Africa, it means that they've lost. What, what is it? It'd be, it'd be six of their last seven. Yep. So, you know, there's, there's some serious heat on, on Fozzie. And, and I can understand it. And there was reservations all the time even before he was appointed, is this the right man? And often, when those questions are being asked, I'm not sure if it ever works out um, that that is the
0: right man. Well, I, I guess I don't want to call it the easy option because they they interviewed both um, Ian and, and, and Scott Robertson. They both had the ability to to go away and present, um, assemble their teams, their coaching teams before they presented to to New Zealand rugby. And uh, you can go and look those up. Who who both Fozzie and and Razor had brought on board. Um, But it just felt to me at the time that it was Henry into Foster, Foster, sorry, Henry into Hanson, Hanson into Foster. It was kind of continuing, you know, a, a line of a succession line of the same voices in the environment without having the same voices that had been so successful in 2011 and, and 2015. And, and I think certainly, as we've spoken about before, everyone in the South Island certainly thought that, um, that Razor was the man for the job and had proven himself despite not having that international experience that New Zealand rugby had had wanted. And I guess form made so much a part of their their hiring of, of first Henry and then Hansen, given both of those guys had had coached Wales. So yeah, it's uh it's an environment of entirely their own making, um, and, and fascinating, as we said, to see how the next 48 hours or even 24 hours plays out. Um, And then to go to South Africa, as you said, if they were to go with Fozzie there um, and lose both tests, six out of their last seven. Now, I mean, I'm guessing here, but I would think that that's probably never happened in in All Black's history. Um, So I'm happy to be told wrong. Uh, Statisticians, maybe for you guys out there to go to check. Particularly particularly
1: poor in that 98 period, but... Uh, yeah, it wouldn't have happened in the last couple of decades. Obviously, they lost a couple in 2009 as well. But, you know, that was, I think, also overseas. It wasn't on New Zealand soil. So there's big questions around that. And, and people might ask, what's the difference between the Wallabies and the All Blacks here? Now, the first one is that I've had it been told that Dave Rennie is not under any threat. The reason why Scott Johnson... Um, was given until the end of his contract is because the current last year is because the current administration, even though they'd made the decision that they weren't going to renew Scott Johnson, they thought, it. you know, under our our, us, we're going to continue to, you know, we brought you in. You can, you deserve the right to finish the job. They're not going to make any moves on on Dave Rennie. But I think the other thing is that at least under Dave Rennie and the they started at such a low end that I think that you can see the signs of improvement. Improvement. You, the yes. you can see who they're thinking are their first-choice players. With the All Blacks, I think the thinking is just being muddled from the outset, and they're not quite sure. They were tinkering with guys like Josh Goodhue going from 13 to 12. It wasn't working. At times, they've had some injuries. Why will Jordan's not playing more? They've gone away from some of the things, some of the pillars of – of picking guys in form. Um, they've got big questions around, you know, at, at, and you, you, we've got to ask, like, Sam Kane is a genuine world-class player, but is the better player, Artie Sevilla, who should have been, I think, World Rugby Player of the Year two of the last three years. has just been incredible. He's been played out of position. They've, I, I, I can't see the clarity and the conviction of what they're trying to achieve Apparently across the ditch
0: in New Zealand. Well, the back row, I guess it's a bit like we've been speaking around with having both Harry and and Rob, different guys, obviously being, you know, traditionally um ball carrying eights, even though Rob plays a lot as a six for for the Brumbies, is that um, you know, as you said, Sam and, and Artie are sevens. Um, and so is the balance there, is it out of whack in that, in that all blacks back row? Um you know, it's a fascinating question. It would be a massive move for, you know, for any All Blacks coach to come in and, and remove the captaincy from from Sam Kane, potentially give it back to, to Sam Whitelock. The other thing to consider, Brady Retallick out now, I think, for the majority yeah. of the rugby championship. So their real enforcer that you're going to want against the Springboks uh, in the yeah. Republic isn't going to be there. It's another massive issue to deal with. So does that perhaps play to... You know Fos back in Foster's court that um you know another change when they're already behind the eight ball on on that front. Um just a, a fascinating time for New Zealand rugby. And I, I don't think we take any great delight in in what's going on over there. Um, you know, I'm sure there are plenty Australians who who would. Um you and I from a media perspective, it's just you know, to see how it's unfolding and and, uh, you know, I guess the, how they've got it so wrong potentially is, is, is more the feeling that, that I'm having um, trying to piece it all together and, and just, you know, go back again to, to marvelling at a, a famous Irish series win because um, the first 40, uh, as good as I've seen against the All Blacks that I can remember.
1: Yeah, and they're valid points. And you've got to remain, you know, people like to probably take the piss a little bit, but you've got to remain impartial as a journalist. Absolutely. That's what you attempt to do. Anyway, and at times, maybe people won't see that um, because we know that the patriotism between particular states runs very large, but that's ultimately what you're trying to achieve. Um, yeah, you're right about Brody Retallick, and it's a huge loss, and, and it does also bring into question around the, the use of cards. It was interesting that, you know, a yellow card is shown for a very, very similar um, instance than what we saw in a, week, uh, a week earlier. I wonder whether or not um, Andrew Porter perhaps didn't you know they, 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 he was soaking the tackle a little bit more as a bit
0: low, low force I, I I was happy with that being a yellow but um could absolutely have seen it given a red and and uh you know confu- remain as confused as ever but I for Wayne Barnes who I think is the best referee in the game I, I thought he got that one right
1: Oh, and I completely agree. But there will be people that go, well, where's the consistency? But I, I always think that rugby is not a black and white game and, and that's where experience, I think, does come into it. And, you know, the fact that Angus Talba is probably going to get two or three weeks, so it'll be interesting to see if anything happens with Porter out of it. But you can never judge and you can never referee on outcome in terms of if a player is injured or not. And, and, and if we're doing that, you'd be saying... Maybe people perhaps um, be more sympathetic towards the cards that are dished out at times, but you know that would that would be occurring left, right, and centre across both rugby league and rugby union. If you're only refereeing on 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 outcome, you've got to mitigate it as much as possible. Uh, I thought the process was that Wayne Bards followed was the right one. I thought his experience shone out, shone through there on that one. I, I, but unfortunately, the laws do. You know, they're, they're so black and white now and how, how it's ruled these days that it's difficult. So you can understand why there's confusion. That You just hope that some of these um, decisions are thought of with all the wider implications and not just completely on, on, on you know, the health and safety, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's, a, it's a fascinating one that Eddie Jones spoke about last week and spoke about in detail around him being frustrated with how it's gone because of that black and white concrete ruling the Iron Fist that World Rugby is now, now encouraging its referees and officials to adjudicate with.
0: Yeah, that story actually exploded on ESPN.com for, for us, uh, even though it was probably a little bit late to, to be published uh, on Friday uh, Friday morning. Um, mate, that's probably uh, just about us. I think we've gone, that looks, about an hour, maybe even in excess of. Um, fantastic to, to wrap up. Um, you know just a thrilling series certainly uh, between Australia and England's been so much to, to digest and and uh, really sink our teeth into equally across the ditches we've just seen. Uh, so mate thanks for your time over the last few weeks. Um, we might have a little bonus pod coming for you uh, sooner rather than later so there won't be a complete hiatus for the next uh, three weeks while we await uh, the start of the rugby championship which um, I'm sure will be uh, equally fascinating. Can't wait to it yet. Yeah, good to join,
1: and and it just sets up a really interesting year with both New Zealand and and Australia. You know, on the back foot to begin the year, and you know, as Eddie Jones has worked a bit of his magic, and they they head home to England, um, and holidays potentially with uh, with a, maybe an unlikely series win after being beaten in in Perth. But good to join. Let us know your thoughts if you've got any particular areas to talk about over the coming days so that we can try to get this well, next time we talk probably around the rugby championship squad
0: absolutely and of course the com games uh kicking off i think maybe next week i'm not exactly sure when the, the rugby portion of that is uh so uh, yeah good luck to, to all involved certainly both uh new zealand and australia uh the men's uh, men's draw is virtually stacked it may as well be another world series stop and Uh, certainly uh, it's going to be hotly contested uh, in the women's as well so uh, if you're looking for a bit of rugby over the next couple of weeks uh, that's probably a good place to start thanks guys